Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. As the world continues to cope with the coronavirus pandemic, you might wonder if people are up for a movie about an apocalyptic event that threatens all life on our planet. But that's exactly what George Clooney is up to with The Midnight Sky, a sci-fi thriller he directs and stars in, and which will be released on Netflix on December 23rd. Clooney plays a lonely scientist in the Arctic who risks his life to warn the astronauts that it's not safe to return home. One of those astronauts is played by David Oyelowo, an actor who you may know from playing civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. in the movie Selma. Oyelowo, who stars alongside Felicity Jones and Kyle Chandler. I spoke with him about working with Clooney and about showcasing a diverse team of astronauts. We talked about how tech plays into the film and how he uses technology in his real life. Well, first of all, thank you again for taking the time to talk. We are living through an extraordinary time in our uh, history as a culture, in lockdown in the pandemic, thinking all sorts of post-apocalyptic uh, thoughts. Some people think we're living in post-apocalyptic times. I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration, although I'm not going to underplay the severity of what we're living through. So let's talk about this project, which is a look at a future that is not particularly optimistic for how we treat the planet and your role in trying to secure a future for Earth. Let me start by asking, what drew you to the material? Um, what drew me to the material was how, despite the fact it's a sci-fi movie, it's a space movie, it's a big movie, that it actually dealt in a very personal, intimate way with the central characters. I, I think George Clooney's character is someone very identifiable um, to an audience who um, can relate to the choices one makes um, juxtaposing the professional and the personal, someone who spends their life um, with a big goal, you know, uh, the planet and securing its future is something that has been a big priority of his for all of his life, but the, the, the victim um, uh, of that has been his family life, his ability to connect interpersonally um, with those closest to him and those who love him and he loves. And then you juxtapose that with this crew of astronauts who have been tasked with finding um, a planet that humanity can now colonize because we have so detrimentally affected our own planet. And um, you even see in the characters that played by myself, and Felicity Jones, that they also have problems with connection. You could argue that's why they can make peace with being away from Earth for two years as they go and find another planet. But in running away from planet Earth, they find each other. They have this connection that actually leads to them perpetuating humanity um, in, in the form of, of, of a pregnancy. And so, you know, um, Th those were some of the things that, despite it being this space movie, really drew me as a human being, as a father, as, as a husband. Do you look at it as a pessimistic view of the future or do you describe it as an optimistic movie? I've read interpretations that it is, could be seen as both. I actually always felt it was quite a realistic 
view of the future. And then the pandemic only confirmed that. You know, I agree with you that we are not necessarily specifically and overtly in post-apocalyptic times, but we are in a time that is shockingly surreal in its reality. I mean, when we were making this film, we literally wrapped the film in early February and by March, a lot of the world was in lockdown and there were what looked like food shortages. And it was clear that this was going to be economically devastating, let alone the price to human life and health. Um, and the levels of isolation, the schools closing. The, I mean, they're just the sheer knock-on effect of this virus that started in one part of the world and spread. It both illustrated how connected we are and how fragile we are. And so even though I don't think it denotes the end of the world, it definitely shows that we are more fragile than we thought we were. Um, and, and that is something that is very evident in the film as well. I think one of the points about the fragility uh, that you're talking about was also the, the spaceship or craft that you're in, that you're flying through this massive void of space and things as simple as, you know, little rocks could destroy the self-contained world you were living in and the showing the fragility of uh, what it means to be an explorer. I mean, people always have these euphemistic views of space, although there've been some space films where we see, you know, challenges and tragedy, though never after somebody sings Sweet Caroline. So that was <laughs> Well, we, we try to mix it up in this, in this film. I, I think that, you know, what the film really illustrates is that at the end of the day, all you really have, and I hope this doesn't sound too sappy, is love, is connection, is family, is um, that interpersonal thing that I truly believe we are designed to have and do. You know, Clooney's character in the film illustrates how regrettable and unfortunate it is if you decide to make the choice to extricate yourself from connection and humanity. Um, uh, it's just not what we're designed to do. And actually, partly why the world is in such a bad, bad state in the film is you could argue because there was a lack of connection to our planet. There was a lack of responsibility for how much we have to not only look after each other, but the planet itself. Um, and so there are so many, you know, like an asteroid, a piece of debris out there in space can change the course of a space station you know and that this virus is the same thing you, you know there, there are circumstances under which it wouldn't have gone the way it did but there are things that are outside of your control the only thing you can control is how you love people and how you treat people doesn't sound sappy i think that's a very welcome message at this uh, point of the journey that we're in here in the real world uh two things i wanted to ask you about this uh about the movie specifically and then just just some things around it. You played uh, a character with your accent, uh, you know, to show that uh, this view of astronauts is not just, you know, I'm not going to denigrate Neil Armstrong, but just the white man <laughs> in space view. And I thought that was a very important uh, message that you gave. I've interviewed, or I had the privilege of interviewing Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther. He talked about using his accent to not show that it was a representation of 
a, a colonized uh, country that he came up with something original. How important a point were you trying to make there? Yeah, well, I think it's something that we all wanted to make a point of communally. I mean, look, you also have a director who really wanted to embrace who the actors actually were in life in order to create this eclectic family um, in different hands. The, the, it, it could have been a white man in different hands. It could have been an African-American. Um, you know, we talked about him potentially having an African accent, but we landed on you know, him having an African name. You know, his name was originally Commander Harper, um, but we really wanted the future, which is where this film is set, to be a reflection of the fact that you know, diversity and different points of view and different kinds of people, especially you know, when it comes to a group tasked with saving the world, that people are coming from everywhere um, in, in all shapes, sizes, genders. Um, and and you know, to a certain degree, there's only so much of that you can achieve with five people, but we, we certainly did everything we could. Um, but yeah, you know, what, what George did that I so appreciated is he embraced Felicity's pregnancy. He embraced the idea of a pregnant astronaut, which is something I haven't seen in space before. Um, he embraced the idea of uh, a, a, a commander of the space station being someone of African descent. That's also something I haven't seen before. And um, you know, I think those things in and of themselves add to the layering, add to the complexity, add to it being a true commentary on all of humanity rather than a certain demographic, which is what we have traditionally seen in this kind of movie. So you said the one of the messages from the film is that at the end of the day, it's about the people, the mm. love that you carry with you. Again, we're living through this extraordinary time. There is now a ray of hope with vaccines about to make their appearance and hopefully, you know, save us. I put that euphemistically in quotes. A lot of people have, have suffered and died because of this. So there is no real, you know, happy ending to the story, just um, progress forward. But how do you think people are going to receive that message right now? More doom and gloom for the planet? Or do you think they will connect with what you're trying to do? Well, exactly as you say, the film is post-apocalyptic. What we are living through is not. I think there is a way through, um, even though we have suffered a lot and there are things we will not regain. Um, you know, in the film, we have so detrimentally treated the planet that we have to find a new one. So I hope that when people see the film, the hope they have and what they are inspired to do is to protect the what we have, um, especially having been through something that has illustrated how fragile we are and what mismanagement looks like. I would argue that you know the, the treatment of this virus has illustrated real gaps in leadership, um, real divisions we have when it comes to all pulling in the same direction to handle something responsibly and effectively, um, the politicizing of things that really it's a no-brainer, in my opinion, that there's only one course of action in terms of protecting your fellow man and woman and the planet, generally speaking. I think that these are all things that, you know, we are being given an opportunity for a reset in the real world. And the only reset that is being afforded in our film is being afforded a very, very small group of people. Um, and so I, I hope people will come away from the film going, okay, 
we really we've really got to figure some stuff out. I mean, I, I'm hoping people feel that way devoid of the film, but hopefully the uh, the film helps uh, engender that just a just a little bit more. Let me just uh, step away from the film for a second and ask you about your interest in sci-fi in general. I think the first time that I noticed you as an actor was in Selma. You played a very important character in right. that role. And I think it got you a lot of attention uh, talking about the racial strife in this country and a, a seminal moment in our history uh, for civil rights. So thank you for that role. I wanna ask you about one of them, uh, The Waterman, which I believe you did earlier this year. Um, an homage to maybe kids movies that we we don't get uh, see get made super eight is the last one i can think of that right. maybe fits in that category but sci-fi are you a sci-fi fan what did you were you into it when you were growing up or i like sci-fi but i like sci-fi with a brain i like i like you know the way i put it is i like magic but i like it with meaning um, and so there, there is sci-fi that just washes over me and I forget it the moment it's done. But, you know, I, I, I love E.T., not just because it had this alien element, but it was also the first time I saw a single parent family for me on screen and these kids having to deal with that. Um, you, you know, I love Close Encounters because it, it, it deals with things other than just the aliens coming to Earth. Um, and that's why I love The Midnight Skies, because it's not just a sci-fi movie. It actually deals with interpersonal themes that we've already talked about. But, you know, in directing The Waterman, the reason why I really was drawn to that film is because it, it has fantasy, it has magical realism, but at the core, it's about sacrificial love. It's about hope and, and sometimes misplaced hope and sometimes warranted hope. You have an 11 year old boy whose mother is, is really ill and there is this myth of the waterman who has the ability to cheat death. So this kid teams up with his friend to go and find the waterman in order to save his mother. And that in and of itself is something I find very beautiful, the notion of wanting to save someone you love, um, but it's also a rites of passage. You really see a real arc of transformation for this young kid in trying to save his mother. What he really achieves is finding his father with whom he has a very acrimonious relationship. And so even though it has all of this patina of fantasy and magical realism, it's just about family and about love and about the things that we all care about and have in our lives and hopefully is therefore relatable. And also a movie that I, I read in other interviews that you would be happy to have your children see. There are not a lot of films that have this, um, I mean, that are uh, geared toward that audience that are optimistic and deliver a good message. Uh, is it true that you were a fan of The Goonies? Is that what I read? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Goonies, Never Ending Story, Gremlins. Uh, you know, I love Stand By Me, even though that's R-rated for the language. But, you know, E.T. is another big favorite of mine. Yeah, these were all films that I grew up on. Never saw myself reflected in necessarily, but I really related to. And so part of why I love telling these stories, you know, Come Away is a film I have out in the mo at the moment that does the same kind of thing, The Water man is is one I, I i i'm just in love with because it has that thing that you know amblin was the absolute 
hub of these kind of movies in 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 sort of the the 90s when i when i was growing up and 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 i think there's a, a real gap in the market for these you know i have four kids myself and there are very few films we can all sit down together and watch my kids range from 9 to 19 um and um you know that's a tough needle to thread but there are films when i was growing up where i did sit down with my parents and not only did we enjoy together but they engendered a conversation afterwards do you have a movie night with your kids? Yeah, every Friday night. And that's partly why I wanted to do this kind of film because the wheels kind of fell off a few years ago. My my son suddenly went very Marvel, very sort of, you know, action Star Wars. And then my daughter was just left watching her tablet on her own, just watching YouTube because there was somehow this sort of gap between what she could watch and would enjoy and what her brothers would and what we, my, my wife and I would also enjoy. Um, and so, you, you know, there's only so many times everyone can endure Frozen before it's like, okay, uh, you know, we need something new. Well, so that brings to mind a conversation about streaming. We're all at home, obviously not going to the movie theaters, at least if we're being responsible about it. And I know that you have said some things about being a fan of streaming, about it being an avenue for bringing different kinds of work to the marketplace that perhaps might not have had the opportunity to air. Can you, can you talk about what your views are of this world of streaming that we have very much embraced in the past year? I think it has presented a huge opportunity for filmmakers like me, for people who look like me, because it's democratized. You know, places like Netflix and Amazon, these streaming platforms, you know, they have intel, they have data that shows who's actually watching the films as opposed to what happens with the studios where it's curated by a very specific demographic. We are force fed a certain kind of film with a certain kind of protagonist made by a certain kind of person. And because we all go, because there's nothing else to watch in a movie theater, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that that is what the world wants to see. And streaming has debunked that. Um, and so, you know, that, that presents an incredible opportunity. It's incre an opportunity for women, for people of color, for all sorts of diversity to be seen because the audience is able to make their desires known by what they actually click on as opposed to what they have to go to the movie theater to see because there's nothing else on that. Do you think we'll go back to the movie theaters when we can? It's expensive. I, I, I think... I think things are changed in a way that they will never quite go back to the way they were. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, a f when you have a film like The Midnight Sky premiering on Netflix, if you're going to get me into a movie theater, you better bring it. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and I think that's a great challenge to be posed to Hollywood, to, to people like me who act and direct and produce. You know, we have got to up our game because what is happening in our homes, on our devices is so much more exciting um, than you could argue um, has been the case in movie theaters. I also think the movie theater going experience has to come up several notches. Um, and I think it's too expensive. Um, you, you know, you've got, you've got to find a way whereby I feel like I'm getting value for money, especially in relation to what I'm able to access at home. And so these are all challenges that I think, they are real challenges, but they're challenges that I think it's exciting to see how we're going to meet them.
I want to ask you because I'm at CNET, which is a technology site. How big a techie are you? Uh, you know, Midnight Sky embraces the future of technology. There's virtual reality there. We see holograms. Obviously, you have an advanced space system and communications, et cetera, et cetera. But you personally, are, tell us about what, what your relationship is with technology. Um, it's funny, you know, I think one of the, the things that uh, really is defining my ascent into being an old man is, 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 you know, how au fait my kids are with technology, you know, my nine year old daughter, I, I wasn't I mean, and now especially she's doing school on zoom right now, but you know that means she is so adept with technology and and literally there are things that phraseology, literal things. I mean, going into Christmas, knowing what to buy them, you know, asking, what would you like? They say these things. I don't know what they're talking about, what these devices are, you know, and it's now impossible to surprise my kids with birthday presents because I literally have to go. So tell, tell me exactly what it is you want, <laughs> because, you know, it's the kind of technology I just have no idea what it actually is, but it's also indicative of how much technology is accelerating, um, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, which was not something that was the case when I was their age. Well, I, I asked that question as well, because we're living in a world where we're all spending a lot of time looking at screens. And we've been talking about augmented reality, virtual reality for years, but now there's an opportunity for storytelling, meaningful storytelling, which has not existed in either of those formats, I would say, to for people to start experimenting with. And is it something that you think that you might experiment with? It's absolutely necessitous because, it, because it's clearly where things are going. And when I talk about the enhancement of the movie going experience, that's exactly what I mean. You know, my kids have Oculus Rift that they're playing all the time and they're interacting with space in a way that, you know, is, is certainly not my experience. And they are going to demand that from their storytelling of course they are, because it's 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 just it's it's normal to them. I said to my son the other day that he he wanted me to um, upload onto one of his devices, you know, one of the streaming platforms, and I said, but you can watch it on this. We have this giant screen in our screening room, and he went, no, I like watching it on my phone under a blanket. I was just like, what does that even mean? But it's just clear that their interaction with technology is different, and we are going to have to meet that that um, going forward. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of getting my head around all of that stuff as a, as a content creator as we speak. Augmented reality Shakespeare, I guess, coming your way in the future. Well, I saw just today that the National Theatre in, in the UK is now has its own streaming platform, um, which, you know, when I was coming up in the British theatre scene, the idea of actively, intentionally making theater available on screens would be so sacrilegious um, because it was all about that live experience. And now that is, you, you know, it's a full on adapt or die situation. And the, the pandemic has only accelerated all of that. But look, how amazing, you know, you can be living in Idaho and you can watch a brilliant production uh, from London at the Royal National Theatre. And that level of accessibility is something that you can't argue with. Do you have a favorite piece of tech personally? What is it? Um, oh gosh, 
I think AirPods are incredibly useful. I mean, I, I have to say that that has been pretty revolutionary for me, someone who likes working out, someone who doesn't like having a phone to his ear, but doesn't want to deal with the wires and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I worry about it frying my brain, but you know, it's, it's usefulness sort of outweighs my worry. If you could have a piece of tech invented just for you, what would it be? Oh gosh, what a great question. I don't know if this is considered a, 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 a piece of tech, but I hate traffic. I live in LA. I do not like traffic. Something that could transport me, and I don't mean teleport me, but could literally just lift off the ground, not a helicopter, but something a little bit more interactive, something that doesn't require a ton of training. I'm looking forward to the day where I no longer have to deal with traffic. So flying cars, Jetson, and flying into your jet port at home, maybe. I was I was avoiding saying flying cars, but that's basically what I'm talking about. I mean, I think we all want flying cars, or at the very least, a real flying uh, skateboard like Marty McFly. There you go. That's right? what I want. That's what I want. I guess you could do a workout that combine your workout on your AirPods, on your <laughs> hoverboard. All right, last question for you, because I know I'm running out of time. I'm talking to you for a series we have called I'm So Obsessed. Yes. So what are you obsessed with? Gosh, um, I'm obsessed with MMA. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know what it is about seeing two grown men pummel each other into a bloody mess. There's, I, it goes to the heart of, of what it is to survive. I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing my wife scratches her head over, but I love MMA. Well, there is artistry to it. There um, is. Thank you. There is skill to it. There is there is gamesmanship in there. It is brutal, but there is something about it. It's very primal and intellectual for me, and I, I, that's why I love it. And is it part of your workouts as well? Well, I am. I am um, prepping to play Sugar Ray Robinson, the boxer, and so the the mind of a fighter uh, uh, is is something I'm I'm really delving into um, at the moment. There's sort of a it's a very specific kind of person who can get their head around being punched in the face severally and be okay with it. That is not me, and I'm fascinated by it. And so, uh, you know, I think it's basically a subtle part of my um, my research as well. Well, good luck with the role and thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and enjoyed the conversation. Good luck. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to David Oyelowo for talking with me and thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>